Welcome to Faith Christian Church. You're listening to a message from one of our weekend services. For more information about service times, location, videos, and a whole lot more, check out our website at faithchristianmoston.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Just want to celebrate and thank God for what he did. I celebrate the team, I celebrate your pastors, I celebrate the unity, I celebrate the volunteers. I know so many of you volunteered and gave your time and your effort, um, and some of you were there, but more than all of that, we just celebrate Jesus and what he did, amen? We can do everything in our part. We need to work as if it all depends on us, but we need to pray like it all depends on God, and God did his best work this weekend. It was so so cool to be a part of it. Um, I'm coming in kind of as an outsider and uh, as an outsider, sometimes you need outsiders to come in and remind you of the specialness of what God is doing in your place. So I'm coming in from the outside, although I don't feel like, quite like an outsider. I feel more like family because I was here with you last year. I don't know if all of you were here last year, but I got to know so many of you and your friendly hearts and your hearts to serve and the way that you just love people and love God is so refreshing. But I just want to come in as an outsider a.k.a. family, and remind you of what you have that's special. Sometimes it's, you know the saying, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And uh, we can take for granted some of those things. I don't think you, you have contempt for your pastors and your team and your church. But I do believe sometimes we can just get used to This can be normal. But I want you to know what God is doing here is not normal. What God is doing here is special. What God is doing in this place, coming in from the outside and seeing it and being at other churches and, and being at my own church in Kenosha, and, and I, I just want you to know that, that there, I love coming back here. It's so refreshing. I was so thankful to get the invite back because I love what God is doing here. I love this church, and I love the family atmosphere, and I love your passion and love for lost people. I love your passion and heart for, for youth, and your pastoral staff is second to none. You need to know that. Can we just appreciate them? Can we just love them? I know you did that already. But I just want you to know as someone who does, I've I've been a pastor at my church for 17 years. I oversee Next Gen Ministries 0 to 30. And even more than the cards and all the baked goods, which all those are amazing, um, it's when people come and just share their personal testimonies. This is how you've impacted my life. These are the things that you've done or the ways that I've watched you. And I just want you to know you are a blessing to me or to our family. And so do that. Share that. Just have a personal conversation. Let your pastors know how much you appreciate them. And uh, I know you do that, but I'm encouraging you to keep on doing that. So, um, man, what a conference. If you were here as a student, I can think of no better way to celebrate what God's done in your life than by getting baptized. Pastor Paul said it on November 11th. That's coming up. So make plans. Uh, invite family and friends because we get baptized so we can let the world know what Jesus has done inside of us. We want to show it on the outside. Amen? So I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about it, don't think about it anymore. Just do it. Make plans and make it happen and invite some people that even don't know Jesus so they can see what God's doing in your life. And it's awesome and you can tell them about it. So um, I want to introduce my family. I don't do what I do just on my own. Um, I did bring um, one of our worship leaders, Jeremy. Um, he's in the back. Everyone say, what's up, Jeremy? Jeremy uh, is uh, right now getting text messages. He leads our middle school worship on Sunday mornings that the sound guy didn't show up. So just pray for that. 
Um, that's not stressful at all when you're here in Moston and you need to be in Kenosha to fix it. So, um, but uh, Jeremy is part of our family, but also my family, my wife and my three daughters um, send their love and their greetings. I was getting text messages this morning, even last night, that they're praying for you as a church, for, for your church and for the student ministry, for the Crave Conference. And so here's a picture of them up on the screens. Um, I'm able to do what I'm doing because of their prayers, because of their support, because they share their dad and, the, and my wife shares her husband. And, and so they send their love and just want you to know um, that, that they pray for you. So I um, wanted, wanted to introduce them. They're the most important part of, of my life and this team. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to jump into the last of our Best Kept Secret series. And uh, I've been listening online and hearing the messages that have been being preached on the weekends and on Wednesdays in powerful series. And this, really, it shouldn't be the best kept secret. Um, it should be the loudest. It shouldn't be a secret at all. It's the best news possible, right? It is the good news. It's the gospel. And uh, if, let's think about it this way. If, if you had a friend that was in a burning building and, and you knew the way out, you had a way to help them. If you, if you knew a friend or you knew somebody, maybe it was a neighbor, coworker that, that was drowning and you had the life preserver and you could throw it out to them, you wouldn't be saying, well, you know, I'll wait for the right time. You know, I just want to make sure it's right. I got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit first. No, you would rescue them. You would save them because you have the answer. You have a hope. You have a way to help them not drown. You have a way to make sure that they don't burn and die, Right? You have the answer, and so you would share that, and you would help them. And so I think sometimes the excuses that we make and the reasons why we don't share this best-kept secret are, if you put it in light of that, that we have the answer and we have rescue right at our fingertips, we have a hope that's within us that we should share it and that it shouldn't be a secret. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to jump right into the message. My message title is called, What If? Somebody say, What If? What If? And... Uh, I want to share a story. I actually want to share Jim's story. Uh, it's one of your own um, on just how he came to know Jesus and what this best-kept secret looks like in his life and in his workplace. Love those last words. Yeah, that's powerful. I love those last words that Jim said, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's really the big idea of what I want to bring to us today is that when we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, when we're obedient, I believe that the supernatural happens when we say yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. The supernatural starts when we say yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I want to encourage us to listen more, to tune in more, and I want to encourage us not just to listen to what God is speaking, because I believe that this is a church who listens to God. That's why you're building a building right over here, because you've listened to the voice of God. But I also want to encourage us to be a church that says yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit whispers and nudges us, encourages us, pushes us, that we don't argue with him, but we say yes, because I believe that's when the supernatural begins. And God can use us in extraordinary ways. And so um, there's a, a story of a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. And uh, he was a man that 
did his best to listen to the voice of God, to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. And so he got involved with his church. He started teaching Sunday school, and, and uh, this was in the Chicago area. And um, he was involved teaching high school students, high school boys. He had about seven to ten high school boys in his, his Sunday school class. And I don't know if you've ever taught uh, high school boys, um, maybe in a small group or a, a discipleship-type setting, but it can be rewarding and it can be painful all at the same time. You can have your best day and your worst day all on the same day. And uh, these guys were like every other typical group of high school boys. This was in the 1800s. Um, they, they, they were ADD. I don't even know that that was a thing at that time, but, I mean, they're high school boys. So, right? There's days that they would show up, and they wouldn't listen to anything that he had to say. He would prepare a lesson, and he would try and keep them on target, on focus, and, 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 and directed in on what he was teaching. And they would do everything that they could to get him off subject and get him going on rabbit trails. Okay, some of you are teachers and you know exactly what pain he was going through. And so he would show up week in and week out and he would try and teach the lesson. He'd try and bring them deeper in the word. He would try and share God's word with them. And some of them would be snoring and some of them would be tuning out and some of them would be cracking up and, and cracking jokes and cutting up. And, 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 and so he would have moments when he felt like quitting. He would have moments where he would go home and he'd be like, God, am I even making a difference? Does this even matter in these students' lives? Like, I, I'm trying, but I feel so inadequate. I, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like they care what I have to say. I don't feel like I'm making any kind of difference. God, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? But Edward Kimball was committed to tuning in as we sang it. I love that song that we sang. God, that I would hear your whispers, that I would hear your voice, that I would bring heaven to earth. And he was committed to that. With everything in his being, that was what his life was about. And so he began uh, to just call down heaven for these boys in his class. He would take, every single week, he would take a new boy's name and he would write it down and he would begin to pray and he would picture their face and he would just call down heaven for these guys in his Sunday school class, that they would know Jesus. And he got one particular week to a young man by the name of Dwight. And Dwight uh, was the worst of the class. Uh, he, the problem with Dwight is Dwight didn't seem to care. He wasn't cutting up, but he wasn't tuned in ever. He just had this blank stare in class, and he would just sit there. Dwight, are you with us? Dwight would just stare. <laughs> Dwight just didn't seem to have any interest in God or the things of God in any of his teachings. It didn't seem to connect to him at any level. So Dwight was frustrating, but he knew that God had a plan for Dwight, and so he began to pray, and prayed so much so throughout the week that God began to whisper to him in, in a way that he hadn't with any of the other boys, and the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to go to Dwight's workplace, and I want to download my love for Dwight through you. And so Edward Kimball argued with God like any of us might do, God, you... <laughs> That's going to be weird. It's going to, it's going to, he's going to look at me crazy with crazy eyes. I don't, I don't, I, he might not even look at me. He might just stare off into space like he normally does. God, I don't think this is a good idea. But he listened to the whisper of the Holy Spirit and he said yes. And he went to Dwight's workplace at the shoe store in downtown Chicago. And he downloaded God's love for Dwight. He said, I, I don't know how to say this in an eloquent way. I'm just a Sunday school teacher, but. I just need you to know, God needs you to know how much he loves you, how, about, how much he cares about you, uh, about the plans that he has for you. I, I've been praying for you all week, and Dwight, I need you to know that God is deeply and madly in love with you. 
And Dwight did what he always did. He just stared at him. Talk about awkward. I don't know if you've ever had one of those awkward moments where you did what God told you to do and you're like, this was a bad idea. Abort mission. Abort mission. <laughs> Run away. Right? So he finishes, he prays for, he asks him if he could pray for him, and Dwight's still not really connecting with anything he's saying, and he walks out of that shoe store completely frustrated and discouraged, wondering if he really heard God. And unbeknownst to him, Dwight finished up his shift at the shoe store, and as he was on his way home, walking home, he knelt down on the pavement on the road, and he gave his life to Jesus so overwhelmed by the love of God, not just because of someone's words, but because he felt God. It opened the door for God to come in, and he experienced the tangible, overwhelming love of God in his life, just like Jim did. Probably a direct answer to not just Edward Kimball's prayers, but probably so many others. And we know that man, that young man, as Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody gave his life to Jesus, and he became a famous evangelist. We have Moody Bible College because Edward Kimball said yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. We have Moody Radio because Edward Kimball said yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, Moody Publishers because Edward Kimball said yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Moody, 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 all over the place. You maybe even listen to Moody Radio, or you know someone who went to Moody Bible College. Dwight L. Moody didn't just go and preach the gospel to the U.S., but he even went over to England to preach the gospel. He went all over the world to preach the gospel. And I think it's safe to say that hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions know Jesus because Edward Kimball said yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. And Dwight giving his life over to God and as a direct result saying yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit himself because he had a Sunday school teacher who would not give up on him. I believe that, I said it already, but I'm going to keep on saying it, the supernatural starts with us saying yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. A supernatural miracle happened in this young man's life and so many others, and it started with a yes. And uh, I want to dive into a passage of Scripture uh, about another ordinary guy. Edward Kimball was just an ordinary guy, just ordinary like you and I. I love that word ordinary because I believe that God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things when they listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and they say yes. I'm not anything special. I've just said yes to God. That's it. That's all it takes. In fact, usually, if you look throughout at least my Bible, I don't know what your Bible says, but I think they're the same. It was ordinary people that God used. People that had messed up, jacked up lives and made a lot of mistakes they didn't look like the kind of people that you would choose, that you'd pick to be on your team, like your dream team, your kingdom team. Like, I'm not going to pick him. I'm not going to pick him. I'm not, there's nobody left. Well, we'll take him then, I guess. And God picked those kind of people, ordinary people. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is about the disciples after they did the miracles and, and the, 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 all the religious people were amazed at Peter and John. And it says they were amazed because they were just ordinary men who had been with Jesus, just ordinary. And there's this other guy who was just ordinary by the name of Ananias. And Ananias' story can be told and can be found in Acts chapter 9. So if you'll turn with me there, 
uh, either on your glowing devices or on your paper Bibles, or you can turn with me your eyes to the screen and uh, read it on the giant Bible up there on the screen. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 14 is where we'll start. We'll jump back and forth in between this story. Um, but here, here we're going to start in verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Just an ordinary dude. Just like you and me. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying for me right now. Or he's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, I don't know if that's the way your prayers look like when the Holy Spirit whispers to you, but if I'm just being honest, that happens a lot with me. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. I know I just said yes to you, Lord. Yes, Lord, your servant is listening, but I have to throw in a but, Lord, because I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've been watching CNN lately, God, but this guy is like the Christian Jewish Osama bin Laden, and his job is a, is a Christian bounty hunter. He wants to take my head off. I don't think so. But, Lord, you need to know who this guy is and what he's done. I want a vision, God, but I don't want that vision. Give me a new one, please. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, we, we see the backstory to this. We see in Acts chapter 7, this is the guy, Saul is the guy that oversaw the stoning of Stephen. He stood there stone-faced while Stephen got stoned, not the kind of stone that we know today, a different kind of stone. He was killed with, the, with stones. And as he was passing away and looking up to heaven, Saul just stood there stone-faced himself watching him being murdered in cold blood. He was a bad dude. He was a terrorist, Christian terrorist. His job was to oversee the killing of Christians. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it goes on to explain his job description. You want to know what Saul's job description was? Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. That was his job description. That was what he was all about. That was what he lived for. This guy was the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad. His sport of choice was not killing deer, it was killing Christians. That was what he lived for. And Ananias is having an argument or a conversation with God, whichever you prefer to call it. And he's saying, God, I, 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 you know, I know you're God and all. I know you've been doing this for, you know, quite some time, like an eternity or something like that. And I, I know you're omniscient and all-knowing stuff, but uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but let me, let me just inform you about this guy that you created. I don't know if you know about this guy, Saul, and, and all, but... Um, He's bad news. I mean, I don't know if you checked the news feed lately, but, like, he's really bad news, and he's only getting worse. So I, I think sometimes we like to inform God as if he doesn't know what he's doing. Or am I the only one? 
God, you don't know about their life. You don't know what they've been going through. Like, they're going through a divorce right now, and I think this is just bad timing. You don't think God knows? But God, I, you know, I know you're whispering to me right now and stuff, but like, if I look at their life situation and all, I think that this might not be the right timing. Why do you think God whispered to you right now then? It's kind of like my daughters who like to shout from the back seat and tell me how to drive. Six and nine and 12. Um, excuse me, you've never taken a driver's training course. You think you know where we're going. You think you know how to drive, but you can keep your mouth shut. Thank you very much. Right? Backseat drivers. It's what we like to become when God whispers to us sometimes. And I can just see the argument going on in Ananias' mind. We get a sneak peek into it. It's quite laughable if you think about it. And I want to encourage us. I want to challenge us as a church. It's time that we stop informing God of the problem. And it's time that we start conforming to his will. Stop informing God as if he doesn't know. Start conforming to what he's asking of you. Say yes to his whispers. It doesn't make sense so many times at all. But 1 Samuel 16, remind, 16 7 reminds us that man looks at the outward appearance and qualities, but the Lord sees the heart. You don't know. You think you know as you're sitting in the back seat, but you have no idea. Turn to your neighbor and say, you think you know, but you have no idea. You have no idea. Some of you have just been waiting for an opportunity to say that to the person next to you. You're welcome. <laughs> Ananias needed a vision. He needed some some heavenly glasses, some heavenly goggles, right? To see what God saw in Saul. He needed to see Saul through God's eyes and viewpoint because we don't know. We see it through our human eyes, but we don't know. But God sees it from a different perspective. And I think sometimes we just need some heavenly goggles. You may have some friends or some people in your life that are a lot like Saul. People with the hardest of hearts. People that it seems impossible that God would want to send us to them. You know those people, right? Those people that like get on your case every time you bring up God or talk about going to church and they're so antagonistic. They're almost like they persecute you for your faith. By the way, the Bible says you're blessed when people persecute you and say all things against you. So just know next time, you might not feel blessed, but you're blessed. God is blessing you when you stand up and you, you share the best kept secret and you, you live your faith out loud and people give you a hard time. You're actually blessed. God blesses you for that. Jesus was persecuted like that. You're in good company. We've written those kind of people off all too quickly. Because of what they said, because of what they've done, because, because of how they treat us. I'm so thankful that people didn't write my parents off. My, my dad was, he grew up in a kind of a religious home. But as he got into high school, he, he caught up, got caught up into partying. And he, he was the captain of the football team. He was the homecoming king. And he was living the life. He was, he was good at what he did. He, was, he participated in some of the dramas. He was a wrestler. My dad, I've never said this about my dad, but my dad was a stud. He was, he was the man in high school. And uh, my mom had a very different life. Um, she grew up in an abusive home. Her mom was physically and verbally abusive to her. She would come home to notes that said, you're a whore, you're a slut. 
where were you? I mean, literally notes on her lamp by her bedside. And her, her mom called and her horrendous things, said horrendous things to her. And so she began to believe those words that were spoken over her. She had a very low self-esteem. She didn't think much of herself. And uh, she began to, to escape to partying and smoking weed. And she met my dad. My dad swept her off her feet. They got married very young at 17 and 18. And they got pregnant with me at 18 and 19. Just right out of high school. And there was some neighbors that God whispered to. If you would have looked at them on the outside, they were, I mean, I don't even still to this day know if they got, they got married first or had me first. Like, I don't know. Like, if you would have looked on the outside, you would have seen this, this, this dude that was working hard that doesn't look like he even should be married and, and this, this young girl that had a low self-esteem and, and I don't know if she was still smoking weed at this time, but you would have seen people that looked like they were far away from God. But these neighbors listened to the whisper of God and they invited my parents to come to church and my parents gave their lives to Jesus and that's all I've known my whole life is going to church and loving Jesus because some neighbors dared to listen to the whisper of God and say yes. We can talk God out of things, but we have no idea what he's doing in people's hearts. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says it this way. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You have no idea what God is doing in people's hearts. You don't know their thoughts, but God does. And he's working on them, even if you can't see it. Can I just remind somebody of that today? He's working. You might not see it. You might be praying like Jim's wife was doing, you might be calling down heaven and it might feel like God's not hearing you and your prayers are bouncing off the, the, the clouds and coming back down. God, where are you? Why are you not answering me? You have no idea what he's doing in their hearts. Your ways are not his ways. So let's take a look at behind the scenes uh, of, of what Ananias didn't have any idea about. Basically what's happening in this passage in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 is that Saul was on a death march, 160 plus mile road trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to go and continue to take out Christians and he was on a manhunt to snuff out Christianity. So he's on the road, he's there, his death march, his posse, his crew, they're all going with him and he's proud, he's boastful, he just took out one of the, the number one hitters uh, on the Christian team, he took him out. We're going, we're going to keep taking these, these leading Christians out. And, and he's proud of himself. And then he gets humbled on the road to Damascus. Says this in verse 1. Meanwhile, while Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, he went to the high priests and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Ananias has no idea that any of this is going on, by the way. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. The bounty hunter is blinded, knocked completely off of his high horse, and his real horse, and on his face, and the hardest of hearts is humbled before God. And Jesus, or, or, or God, says to him, why are you persecuting me? 
When people persecute you, they're not just persecuting you, they're persecuting the cause of Christ, Jesus himself, God himself. And you're blessed when you're persecuted. So back to Ananias. We see what's going on in Saul's heart, even though Ananias doesn't see what's going on in Saul's heart heart and life and, and what's happening on the road to Damascus and this death march. But in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, I told you we're going to skip all over the place. But the Lord said, go to Saul. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. Chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Chosen instrument. That is some interesting word choice there, God. Chosen instrument. Are we talking about the same person here? I will die if I go to your chosen instrument. It's going to be the chosen instrument of death for me. That's the chosen instrument that's, the, the, you're going to use them to kill me. Okay, I get it. You mean to tell me, of all the billions of people that you can pick from on this planet, you pick this guy. That's your plan. Okay. And I believe that sometimes it takes the hardest of hearts to reach those with the hardest of hearts. Do you know that? We, we, we want to argue with God, well, God, he's got a hard heart, or she's got a hard heart, and there's no way they're going to. It takes someone like that coming to know Jesus to reach people who also have hard hearts, because they know and they've been there. They understand. They have a boldness and a courage, a fearlessness to go and share. I know it's going to cost you something. I know you're scared. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you don't know the backstory like we happen to have the privilege of knowing here but you have no idea what God's doing in them and what he wants to do through them. And so Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 18. So Ananias went, and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly. Come on, somebody say instantly. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He was no longer blind, and he regained his sight, and then he got up, and he was baptized, like you're going to do on November 11th. Come on, somebody. All right? He got baptized right then and there. Flash forward, Saul is no longer Saul. He's now known as Paul. His name was changed, and he becomes a missionary. Paul, once one of the greatest opponents to the mission of Jesus becomes the one to move the mission forward like it has never been seen up to this point. He was a beast. He was, he was a charge-the-hill kind of guy. He was fearless. He writes over half the New Testament. Um, he, he, the, the, the very Bible that we're holding in our hands or that we're reading week to week and day to day, he wrote over half of that. He's responsible to move forward the message of Christ in a way that, that is, is really the birth of the church. He's on a way, the way to Jerusalem to kill Christians, and he finds Jesus. While the disciples are still cowering, <laughs> afraid for their lives pretty much. Basically, that, had a, that was kind of still happening or it had just happened. This is kind of the timeline for you. But Paul was unafraid. He was fearless. He was beaten, we go on to hear his story. He was shipwrecked, he was be- ultimately beheaded, he was imprisoned. He went through a lot, but he didn't care, he just kept on going. His hard heart had now been changed, and he was going to reach the people with the hardest of hearts. 
And he was sent. He was really the one who lived the example uh, and was moving forward the charge to be sent to the Gentiles. We're here today because Ananias listened to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and said yes, and he went to Saul who became Paul, and Paul moved the mission forward. It's safe to say that we could, we could not be here following and, and living for Jesus if, this, if these moments hadn't happened. He went to reach Gentiles. He went out and, and did what others were like, oh, I don't know if we can do that just yet. God took a murderer and he made him a missionary. So powerful. I think so many of us, when we read stories like this, it's easy to look at it and go, I want to be like Paul. And, and being like Paul is awesome. It's a good goal. But I think what we really need is we need more Ananiases. I, I think we need more Ananiases because we would have never had Paul's story if we didn't have Ananias saying yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. The church gets more Paul's when we begin to live more like Ananias. That's what happens. I don't know who the Pauls are in your world. I don't, or the Sauls. I don't know the, who the, the Sauls are in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your schools. I don't know who the people is that God's been whispering to you about that maybe you've been arguing with them about. But I want you to know that those people are going to bring revival to this city and this area if you will say yes. They're going to help move the mission of Christ forward in this area. Imagine the churches, the other campuses that are going to be planted as a part of this church as a result of you saying yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. You have no idea what God wants to do through them. So stop arguing and say yes. The supernatural starts with saying yes to the whispers of God. Back to our story about Edward Kimball since we're, you know, rewinding and fast forwarding and rewinding and fast forwarding. I hope you don't have whiplash. Sorry if you do. But Edward Kimball says yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and ends up telling D.L. Moody about the love of God. D.L. Moody falls on his knees and repents and gives his life over to Jesus, overwhelmed by God's love. And he goes on to preach the gospel. He, he ends up going over to Liverpool in England, and he ends up speaking um, the gospel and preaching. And a guy by the name of F.B. Meyer comes to know Jesus. And F.B. Meyer ends up... Um, preaching and leading a guy by the name of Wilbur Chapman to love Jesus more. And Wilbur Chapman, we have pictures of each of these guys just in case you want to know what they look like. If you don't, just don't look at the screen. Wilbur Chapman ends up going over to the U.S. So D.L. Moody goes over there, leads some people to Jesus. Wilbur Chapman comes over to the U.S. from England, and he ends up leading a guy by the name of, he was a baseball player, by the name of Billy Sunday to Jesus. Billy Sunday was very influential in the sports world, and because he was very influential in the sports arena, he ends up uh, leaving his baseball career and using his influence to preach the gospel as one of the most famous evangelists in the early 1900s. Powerful. He would go and preach in ways that were dramatic and, and, and expletive, and he was, I mean, he was a fiery preacher and going crazy for Jesus, and people were inspired and motivated by his love for Jesus and his love for the gospel. It was not a best-kept secret for him. It was everything that he lived for was to tell the truth of the good news. Billy Graham, or I'm sorry, Billy Sunday, ends up leading um, all these crusades, and so on the East Coast, they heard about his influence, and they, they said, hey, we want you to come and preach at these crusades that we're having here. We need you to come over and we want you to be a part of it. We just believe that God wants to change this city and this area for Jesus. And he says, I can't make it. I, my schedule's too crazy, too packed. But I know this guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham is an incredible evangelist. You need to, 
You need to reach out to him and have him come. He will do a great job in my place. He loves Jesus. He's going to preach the gospel with fire and passion. So they bring Mordecai Ham in, and he does these tent revivals, these tent crusades. And he's preaching the second night of these crusades, and there's this guy by the name of Billy Frank that comes into the tent crusade the second night. He was just there because his buddies were going to be there to cause a ruckus. They were there to just kind of cut up and make fun of and mock the preacher and the revival and, and these tent meetings. And so he goes to show up to watch the show. And he's sitting there in the service with arms folded. It's like, okay, this is stupid. Whatever. With an attitude, a chip on his shoulder. And as Mordecai Ham begins to preach the gospel message, more and more his heart begins to melt. And he finds himself walking down to the front and giving his life over to Jesus. And we know Billy Frank better as Billy Graham. Spoiler alert, I said his name earlier. Billy Graham comes to know Jesus in that moment. Did you catch the spiritual lineage there? All because Edward Kimball said yes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham is by far the greatest evangelist that we've ever known. Millions upon millions upon millions all over the world, not just all over the U.S., have not just heard the gospel, but given their lives to Jesus Christ as a result of the ministry of Billy Graham. All because one man dared to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and say yes. You have no idea what's down the road 100 years from now as a result of you saying yes. You have no idea. And I think a lot of times we say, well, God, what if? What if, I, what if I go and I make a fool of myself? What if I go to them and they totally reject me or they laugh in my face? God, what if I go to them and they blank face stare at me? I don't want that awkwardness in my life. I have enough awkwardness in my life. I don't need to bring it on by, by this kind of shenanigans. We say, what if, what if, what if, well, what if I'm wrong? What if, what if, what if, they, what if they make fun of me? What if, what if, what if they, they like want nothing to do with God from then on out? What if, what if, what if? We're asking the wrong what if. What if we say yes to the whispers of God and they go on to change the world, become the greatest evangelists? What if we say yes to God and it, maybe it's awkward in the moment, but because of those words, maybe a year or two down the road, God reminds them of that seed that was planted and they fall on their knees in repentance like D.L. Moody did. What if? What could happen if a church full of people listening to a message about the best kept secret would all say together as one, my modus operandi is to say yes to whatever God asks of me. I might have some but God moments and I might want to argue with God a little bit and kind of duke it out. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say yes. No matter what he asks of me, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to be in tune with his voice and I'm going to say yes. As we close out, I'm going to ask the the team or whoever's coming to play. I want to pray over you. This is my prayer. It's very simple. As we close out this series. Super simple. I want us today to live a 100% day. What do I mean by that? It's simple. 100% in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God. 100% in tune. God, I want to, some of you are like, I don't, I don't really know if I hear God's voice. I'm still trying to learn that. That's cool. 
Keep learning. Ask your pastors or your small group leaders or, or, or have some conversations and dialogues with people that you look up to spiritually about how to hear God's voice. The Bible says that my sheep know my voice. They, they know how to hear me. They, they're, they're in tune with me. They're close with me. They've learned how to hear me. It's a learning process for sure. I'm still learning how to hear God's voice, but I'm going to be in tune. And I get to know his voice through reading his word because that's what his voice is close. It's, it's, it's the same as it was then. As it is now, I know the character of God because I read his voice. And that sounds like God, or that doesn't sound like God. That sounds like the bad pizza I ate last night. That sounds like my flesh. That sounds like my desires. I don't want to do this, but man, God's just downloading his love for this person. That sounds like God's heart. I don't like them. I actually hate them. They drive me crazy. But man, God's love is so real, and it's overwhelming me, and it must be God because, man, that's what his character and his heartbeat is in the scriptures. 100% 100% in tune with the voice of God. And the second part of that 100% day is 100% obedient to whatever God asks of you. So as you're going to eat today, maybe you're going out to eat, and God whispers to you about your waiter or waitress, I want you to just ask them if you could pray for them while you're praying for your meal. Why not? Hey, we're about to pray for a meal. Uh, is there anything we can pray for you about? He whispers to you. Yes, God. Man, I don't want to do that. It's way outside of my comfort zone, but okay, yes. And you do it. It might even be awkward. But you pray for them. Because you pray for them, they come to know Jesus and they start coming to church with you. They start coming to church with you and they start filling up rows with people. 100% day. I don't know how he's going to whisper to you. I just gave an example. But what if we didn't just live 100% day? What if we... What if we challenged ourselves and our family and had conversations about living a 100% week? 100% in tune with God's voice every single morning. God, I want, speak. Your servant is listening. If you're nudging me, moving me, pushing me to go love on somebody, I'll do it. 100% in tune with his voice and 100% yes every single time he speaks. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray over you that we would be a church that lives 100%. Not just today, not just this week, but from here on out. What if we say yes? What could happen? God, thank you so much for a church that loves people well, loves each other well. God, I pray that you would push us out of comfort zones. Not just nudge us, but push us. God, give us heavenly goggles to see people as you see them. God, in every moment, in every day, in every situation, not just in the church moments, would you guide and direct us, God, even to those who have the hardest of hearts. I believe that God is speaking to some of you right now about that person that has the hardest of hearts, and you've been kind of having an argument while I'm preaching. You should have been listening, but you've been arguing with God. It's cool. God will win. And he's telling you, go to them. Love them. Speak my words over them. And it might not feel normal. It might feel really awkward. You might not know all the words to say, but I'm going to help you and I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the boldness. I'm going to help you do it. The hardest of hearts because he wants to reach others who have hard hearts. And he's going to use your yes to lead them to Jesus. And then they're going to lead others to Jesus. So God, I pray for this church. Give them your words. Give them your eyes. Give them your love. And God, help us to live 100% today as we leave this place. God, fill us with supernatural love. And as we say yes to your whispers, God, 
I pray that you would do the rest. We'll do our part, but we can't change their hearts. Only you can do that. So God, you do your part. And we're agreeing right now in Jesus' name to do our part. God, empower us and use us. And I pray, God, that the stories that will be told on the video screen the next several weeks and months will be story after story after story of those that are like D.L. Moody and those who are like uh, Mordecai Ham and those are like Billy Graham. God, I pray that those kind of stories will be told even hundreds of years from now as a result of the yes that we say to you today. God, we love you and we're committed 100% in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.